This week on Grape Encounters Radio. A lot of those aromas you will find in Pinot Noir, that sort of truffly note, the violet, the earthiness, that forest floor, all of those things. Why are you Pinot lovers so afraid to mention the one characteristic that actually is responsible for this being so much like human pheromones? The ingredient is sweat. And now, transmitting our signal to wine lovers of the world, we bring you Grape Encounters with David Wilson. Peel me a grape. Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow Talk to me nice All right, and it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter, but not just any Grape Encounter. It is our annual Grape Encounter Valentine's Day special. This Valentine's Day is a little weird because it also falls on President's Day weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about presidents and wine as well. But to kick things off, I have in the studio one of my dearest friends, both in the wine business, radio, and on planet Earth. He is William Bloxham Carter, the former chef of, what was it, 28 years? 28 years. 28 years at the Playboy Mansion and left the mansion just before Hugh decided that sexy is putting your clothes back on. So I wonder how they're parading around the grounds there at the mansion now. Well, you have to ask yourself how much longer are the grounds going to be there? I mean, you So it's for for sale, right? It's for We should put our money. David, let's pool our money and go buy it. Can I tell you why we're not going to do that? Neither one of us wants to go back to L.A. True. Right? True. Anyway, you're here on the Central Coast now, opened up one of the most unique inns, bed and breakfasts uh, I've ever been to. It's called the Canyon Villa. This property is amazing. And what's even more amazing about it is that when you check into the Canyon Villa, you're going to be served wine that has been chosen by William Carter, and you're going to have the opportunity to eat food cooked by William Carter. So let's talk Valentine's Day and wine. You took my survey, and I do want to mention, we have a survey monkey out there that is polling your opinions on Valentine's Day and wine. So go to the Grape Encounters group site, join the group, take the survey. That's all that's to it. You are no stranger to wine, food, and romance. In fact, I think romantic meals and wines might just be your specialty. It is my specialty. And in the green room, we were talking about one of the producers up in Sonoma. Am I allowed to say JCB? Because they make Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They make a sparkling burgundy, and each bottle has a certain number to it. There's number 21. There's number 69, which is a rosé. They have all different numbers based on what they are. It's a sparkling burgundy. It's not champagne. And let's just say it's the JCB brand, which stands for Jean-Charles Boisset, who, by the way, next weekend is going to be having his Napa Gras, and we will be there with microphones to share the debauchery with you. And by the way, it's not a public event. So uh, if you're thinking, gosh, I want to go to that, you have to be either in the media or in the wine industry. That's right. That's a deal. Okay. So William, let Let's talk about sexiest things and most passionate and romantic things that somebody can do with a focus on wine for Valentine's Day. I'm turning you loose. Oh, my gosh. Well, first thing is we just touched on it a little bit. Champagne is an easy go-to. It is still the gold standard to embrace.
impress somebody with. I love leaning on to the sparkling. We talked about sparkling burgundies. We talked about different things like that. Uh, the French champagne. There are some California producers. There's also some New York State producers that put do a bang-up job with sparklers. I would go in that direction. I love fresh fruit. There's nothing more sexy to me than seeing a woman slowly eat a large chocolate-dipped strawberry. Not only eat it, but let's say nibble. Nibble, okay. Hey, listen, uh, one of the questions on my survey is, if you plan on drinking bubbly on Valentine's Day, what will it most likely be? And the choice they had was true champagne from Champagne, France, a California sparkling wine, Prosecco or Cava or other. What do you think people answered? And these are people from all over the country, by the way. Well, that's that's a tough one. And here's why. I know we're keeping track of my responses here. California sparkling is a good one. Prosecco is climbing the charts. It is a hot brand right now to be following. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Cava's and the French champagne is always a great go-to, but you got to have the right budget and purse to do it with. So I'm your instinct is which one? Sparkling. Wow. Okay. You know what? I'm going to do the reveal when we have Amy Riley on. Amy Riley, the world's leading authority on the aphrodisiac properties in wine and food. She'll be in uh, the last segment of the day, so you want to stay tuned because I'm going to also have her guess what the listeners said as far as answers to these questions. Well, Amy is the one to go to. Also, you know, right after you, we will have by phone Jennifer Simonetti Bryan, who is only one of four female master psalms in America. Can you imagine that? What a lineup you have going on today. Yeah. That's right. She has got the golden palette. And I have been of the theory over the last five years that female psalms have some of the best palettes in the world. They've, got, they've got more taste buds yes, than men do. do in general. So sparkling wine. Let's, again, the strawberries, the fresh fruit, chocolate dipped strawberries is a great way to go. I like light foods. We're not looking at anything heavy. If you're going to go in a direction where we have to fill the tummy a little bit, I like just a little a little nest of capellini with a very light sauce on it. Nothing heavy, no garlic, maybe some parsley, a little bit of basil in there, maybe just a little bit of caramelized onion, not a lot. So a light pasta dish or maybe just some oil, some capellini, a little bit of crushed red pepper. Stop little, drooling on my microphone, William. A, a little bit of shaved Parmesan Reggiano over that. A lot of, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, first of all, pasta is a light dish potentially. Like a four-layer meat sauce lasagna is not light. Oh, get out of but, town. But, you know, no. just a, you can just cook pasta plain, drizzle it with olive oil, sprinkle a little bit of uh, Parmesan on it, you're done. But what do you pair with that? What's the what's the go-to? Are we going to stick with wine? We're going to stick with wine. Are we going to stick with bubblies? No, actually, I would rather move in a direction of a very medium, dry, light-styled Sangiovese. That, that would really do it for you right there. Again, that's one of those... Sangiovese, by the way, for those who try to find it and can't, is the main ingredient in Chianti. Mm -hmm. So you can also go for a Chianti. You can. I would stay away from the Tempranillos, the Spanish Tempranillos, unless it's a very light-styled one, but those are also hard to find because the Spanish now are making those in a heavier style, as are the Italians. I would not go in the direction of a Barbera or a Super Tuscany. Tell us what direction you would go in. I would go to a Sangiovese and a sparkling uh, California wine. You know, what do you think, other than Bubbly's, is the sexiest wine, most romantic wine? 
Would it be Sangiovese? In my book, it would. I think uh, a light Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. Pinot Are Noir you, is a sexy is pick, one. Pick what? Costa Brown. Costa Brown, Pinot Noir. Yes. Okay. We're going to actually check that answer as well. And going back to the food and wine thing for Valentine's Day, I really, if ever there was a wine holiday, Valentine's Day is it. And I think the food component is very important, but I also want to remind people, keep it light. Yes. You know, if you're looking for romance, the last thing you want to do is go out for a 16-ounce T-bone steak, a side of big, greasy onion rings. And I mean, I'm just saying that it gets heavy. You're going to disagree with me. No, no, no. I'm going, I agree with you. And I would not go for a salad either. Salads get messy. I would go for a nice antipasto platter, some grilled individual veggies on there, some thinly shaved uh, prosciutto da parma. Uh, you're looking at little things like a marinated mushrooms, little vegetables, things, and then little s- grilled baguette or grilled focaccia bread, because then you can just nibble through the night. Figs and dates also. Those Bingo. are very sexy foods. Yes. And then when she is all, or he uh, is all done uh, consuming that, slip some raw oysters down their throat. Ooh. Well, I think oysters are kind of, they've reached their peak as far as the sexiness on them is concerned. There's a great so variety So what's, what's the new oyster? What's the new oyster? I would say the antipasto platter is the new oyster. And a very interesting thing is we are beginning to use, at least in the wine world circles, the term charcuterie. Yes. However, most of the nation has never heard that term, just like five years ago, nobody had ever heard the term sommelier. Sommelier, yes. Yeah. So it's charcuterie. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. When you look at it, it looks like it's hard to pronounce, but that's it. Okay, uh, what's going on at the Canyon Villa for Valentine's Day? What will you be serving? you got 30 seconds. Oh, Canyon Villa. We have a special three-course breakfast going on at the Canyon Villa. We're going to be offering, again, something nice and light for the main entree. We're going to be doing a seafood frittata. So we'll have some fresh shrimp in there, some crab, some wonderful Gruyere cheese melted over the top of it, or I'm getting some smoked provolone in later this week. So I'm mm. thinking maybe I'm going to go in that direction with some nice provolone cheese on there. Again, the fresh fruit, the uh, fruit from the Southern Hemisphere is really being imported yeah, right now. Definitely, summertime yeah. there. So we're looking at cherries. A- and by the way, think about wines from the Southern Hemisphere. Absolutely. Because you can get something really, really spectacular. And I will tell you that on the survey, reds are definitely dominating for sexiest wine. Mm-hmm. Well, you want a sexy wine, spend 30 to $40 on a Malbec or a Cab Malbec blend from Argentina, and you might as well have spent $120 in uh, one of our major wine countries. Okay, so you've got five seconds. Uh, your wife is going to be poured what on Valentine's Day? She's going to be poured a Pinot Noir, and she's going to be wearing a very red, sexy robe and some red high heels. She is your playmate. She is my playmate for life. All right, Catherine, a little love from William there and a little love from me and love to all of you out there in Grape Encounters land. We'll be back next with Jennifer Simonetti Bryan. She is something special and she's going to share with us her visit to the White House wine cellar. I can't wait. That next on Grape Encounters Radio. If you work in the wine industry or are a wine lover that spends more than $25 a bottle, you should not be without the all-new Coravin Model 2 Wine Access System. The Coravin is a game-changer, allowing you to extract as little or as much wine from the bottle without removing the foil or the cork. As wine is poured from the bottle, inert argon replaces it, keeping the remaining wine inside absolutely pristine. 
That means you can drink the remaining wine in a week, month, or a year from now without any chance of oxidation or spoilage. The Coravin is the brainchild of a medical devices inventor who was tired of seeing delicious wine go bad because it wasn't consumed in one sitting. Today, it's the most important tool any wine enthusiast can own. The new Coravin Model 2 is available online at GrapeEncounters.com. Or if you're on California's Central Coast, you can see a demonstration or pick yours up at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. Learn more about the Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. Eat right, get plenty of exercise, wash behind your ears, and drink your wine. It's good for you. So is Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. back with Grape Encounters Radio, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is one of those strange holiday weekends where it is both Valentine's weekend and it is also President's Day weekend. I don't know how often these two things coincide, but they're coinciding this weekend, so I thought we'd just kind of combine them. So we've talked a little bit about Valentine's. Now let's go on to President's Day weekend, and actually we'll have our next guest weigh in on Valentine's wines as well. On the line with me is a woman who was the fourth woman to become a master of wine. This is like a huge thing if you don't understand the world of sommeliers. Her name is Jennifer Simonetti Bryan, and she's been on, first of all, so much TV, NBC, CBS, Fox News Channel, Wine and Spirits Magazine, Wine Enthusiast, The New York Times. And Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank Our, you very much for having me. Yes, I'm I, excited. And everybody's going, but why is she on? What's that got to do with <laughs> president? <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you why she's on, because she's one of the very few people on this planet that's been invited to go check out the White House Wine Cellar. By the way, Jennifer, we tried to get an appointment at the White House Wine Cellar. They said, well, you need to make your reservations in advance. But by the time I could get in, there would already be a new administration. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, so tell me about how did you get invited into the Obama Wine Cellar? What's the deal? I had a friend of mine who had emailed me and um, asked me if I wanted to go to the White House and because she knew somebody. And I got an invitation from the food and beverage director to tour the White House and their cellar. And so I was ecstatic. I was on the train on the way down.
down from New York to D.C. And on the train, all I could think of was, I wonder what kind of wines they have there. Is it going to be like from Thomas Jefferson's time? Or is it going to be like George Washington? Um, like, I had no idea what I was going to find. But I, I really thought that there was going to be wines there with thick, thick inches of dust and stuff. So I wanted to kind of like see all of that. But so, some, was, some, of, some of those Thomas Jefferson Madeiras, right? Hmm? Yeah, I was hoping so. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, Thomas Jefferson himself, uh, he was such a huge well, Francophile and onophile. He really brought French wine over into the United States. And, well, not by himself, but he really, amongst the elite and amongst the po- politicians, he really was a huge enthusiast. Okay, so there's a story that's told about Thomas Jefferson that for at least the first four administrations, that he hung around and kind of kept track of the wines there in the White House. Do you know that to be true? I don't actually, I don't know. I, what I do know is that the White House itself was too small to contain his cellar. So he ended up <laughs> having to create one in his home in Monticello. No, come on. And he took the wines yes. home, the White House wines home? Yes. Do yeah, you, well, it was, it, it was his wine to begin with. I mean, it was a couple hundred years ago. Like, who was keeping track? So what did he do? He put in an expense report or something like that? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But to, he did buy lots of wine over to, Today, if you took the wine home and you maintained the White House wine cellar in your own home, you would be indicted. So you got to go to the White House. So you, you finally show up there. So what did you find? Yeah, so we were walking around and we got to see the, the green room, the blue room, the, the red room, the, like the, all these different color rooms and where they dine and they were setting up for an estate lunch and it was really exciting. And so then we go one floor down from where it is. So I guess it's like sub level one. So here I feel like really excited. And we go into this area and it gets this key out, opens up the door and it's a closet. No. And it, yeah, no. it it's not, it's really, it, it's not even, a, it's a walking closet technically, but I think in Beverly Hills, there's a lot, there's shoe closets that are bigger. <laughs> and it was kind of disappointing to see that there really wasn't that much space. And I turned to Daniel Shanks, who's the food and beverage director and had Usher at, well, at the time, and he said, yeah, everything we do here is just-in-time inventory. And I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense because everything that they've got going on, they have thousands of events per year. And whether it's lunch and breakfast and it, all these different types of things going on, they can't house it all there because the White House isn't that big. I mean, even their kitchen isn't that big. And that was actually really exciting. So, so, so it, let, but let me understand this. So politicians in Washington can wind up being there their entire life, but wine only lasts for the length of an event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they don't sell it for a period of time. So I, in one sense, I was so disappointed. I, I thought, oh man, like, so there's not going to be dusty bottles with T and J written on it, billionaire's vinegar or whatever. Do you think the president can just wander down there in his jammies and just kind of open it up? <laughs> Do you think he's got a key to the closet and he can go into the wine closet? I and- bet you he could, but I don't think he'll do it alone. I'm sure some security person somewhere will go in there with him. Yeah, you don't want to ha- after, after 9-11, I'm sure. You don't want to ha- could- have the president coming out of the closet with a bottle there's of wine. A- <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a joke in there somewhere. I'm not saying that's a bad you know what? I wasn't saying that was a bad thing. Okay. <laughs> hey, so anyway, how would you like to have the job of White House sommelier? Not that I can give it to you, but I just wonder. No, in the pie in the sky. Well, that job, I have to be honest, sounds so stressful. It sounds more to me more like a protocol job than just a sommelier because Daniel Shanks' job is is all about who's sitting where and lining everything up 
and, and the food and wine pairing and discussing with the chef. And there's, there's so much more to it than just, you know, picking up the phone. Yeah, yeah, send me a few cases and here, let me show you, Your Highness, um, you know, Queen Elizabeth, this is the Riesling that you're going to be having, blah, blah, blah. It's much more intense. And I, and he's been there for a while, a couple of decades. I have to imagine that it's, it is very stressful. And the things that you hear, though, the things that you hear have got to be like you're itching to get on the phone and tell your family and stuff, but you can't, you know? You know what I, what I wonder about is this, is I have heard from a number of my friends who do a lot of wine business in China that mm. the, the Chinese drink their wine pretty fast. Like they tend to slam it down pretty fast. And I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. They just do it differently than we do. And I'm just wondering if you're the White House sommelier and you've got uh, some diplomat from, doesn't matter what the country is, and they're mm-hmm. gulping the wine, they're slugging it down. Do you go, <laughs> and, do, and do you grab the... No, Stop that! <laughs> I was actually at Chateau Ponce Canet a few years ago, and there was this bus that let out with a lot of different um, Chinese dignitaries or whatever. And there was a table at Chateau Ponce Canet for this amazing dinner that we were all going to. And they had Sauterne, which is nectar of the gods, and really delicious dessert wine. And they had grapefruit juice and orange juice next to it. I'm going, what's the orange no. juice and grapefruit juice? No, don't tell for? me they're good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They asked for a glass of Sauterne with grapefruit juice in it. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, some Bordelais winemaker is turning over in their grave right now. And do you know how expensive that wine is? But they think in their culture, we're totally adulterating tea when we add milk to it. So, you know, tomato, tomato. All right. Hey, listen, we're going to have to take a quick break here because I need to go grab some orange juice for my Sauterne. If I told you, Jennifer, the things that I mix with wine, you would be appalled. I probably would. But I have a very simple philosophy about wine. It's hmm. my it's my wine. I paid for it. I can do whatever I want with it. That's right. How about that? That's right. I'm free. Okay, we're talking to Jennifer Simonetti Bryan. She is only the fourth woman in America to become a master of wine. And she's the go-to girl for so many different publications, TV shows. And I'm here trying to cut in on her action, actually. No, now you've made it to the big time. Grape Encounters. <laughs> I'm choking. All right. No, no. This is great to be here. Now I'm excited to talk to someone who's just as enthusiastic. Hey, we have, we cut loose on this show. That's the deal. There are no rules here. Okay, we'll be back uh, with Jennifer in just a moment. So stay with us. Go refill your glass. Don't put the orange juice in. Just hold off on that and we will return with more Grape Encounters right after this. Want to know David's very favorite products for wine lovers? You can see them at GrapeEncounters.com. GrapeEncounters.com is where you'll find a hand-picked selection of products and accessories for wine enthusiasts that you aren't likely to find most other places. The selection of must-have wine-related products is awesome. So are the low prices. We have the all-new Coravin plus accessories, gifts, wine games, collectibles, and so much more at GrapeEncounters.com. You'll love the unique wine products waiting for you at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero the gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. 
Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. Money may not buy happiness, but it will buy you some very good wine. And if that doesn't make you happy, you need to be listening to a self-help show. Not Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. Back with our special edition of Grape Encounters Radio. It's a Valentine's Day, President's Day edition of Grape Encounters. On the line with me is Jennifer Simonetti-Brien, Master of Wine, and one of the very few people that's ever been taken into the White House Wine Cellar. And I guess a very disappointing experience, Jennifer, or was there something there that sparked your imagination and delighted you? Well, what I really enjoyed was going through the kitchen and and the pastry room and all of that. The wine cellar itself just houses things that perhaps are a little left over from the nights before events. And I can't really blame them for having a just-in-time inventory because of the intense amount of events that they have going on. And it's amazing that they can keep it just that way. And I, like I said, I was so very impressed with how they really tried to make it so connected, finding an American winery to connect somehow to the country that is coming as a guest to the White House. So that I was very, very much impressed with and thought that that's brilliant. But there are a couple of things about wine in the White House that do trouble me. The first is this, that in recent years, there's been some emphasis put on, you know, not pouring too expensive a bottle of wine because it's considered to be a waste of taxpayer dollars. I really find that uh, to be an atrocious concept because the wine industry is such a humongous point of pride for America. It's a big part of our economy now. It's one of the things that we do best. We don't import jobs. It's all done here. It takes care I agree. Of a and lot it's of not people. really that many bottles. Let's be real. I want a dignitary from another country to drink a wine and go, wow, these Americans really got it together. I definitely am not going to mess with them. So, right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, if I'm going to France and I'm invited by the president of France, I want a glass of champagne for crying out loud. That's what I want. And you're right. You're showing yourself off to the best advantage. So yeah, I think it makes perfect sense to have what you think is the best wine to represent your country. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if nothing else, I mean, wouldn't that be a great part of the White House tour for visitors to see this amazing collection that memorializes the wines that we've made in this country and how far we've come? I don't know if they want to put it on the door, but at the same time, I think it might be really fun to have a a book or something that lists all the wines that were presented at the White House. I I would definitely want that. Absolutely. And, And you know what else? The Smithsonian 
Ryan thought that the American wine industry was important enough to give it a, a pretty substantial exhibit there. And Ooh. so I, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's a, we, I had, we did a show there from the exhibit uh, and we got to go into the Smithsonian when nobody was there. That was kind of fun. But, you know, the other thing is the White House adopted this policy of not disclosing wines that are being served at a state dinners because they don't want to give any particular winemaker a special edge. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why not give them kudos? Why not make it such a point of pride that people really want to compete to make better wines that could potentially be showed off uh, by our president? So I don't get that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Unless there's a special bottling that being made just for that estate dinner, or which I don't know if they they do, but I could understand why they want everything with the White House. They probably want to keep private. Yeah. Uh, well, I have mixed emotions, but I will say this: I'm very, very concerned about Donald Trump getting into the White House because. <laughs> As you probably know, he doesn't drink. All right. So talk to me about your thoughts on wine and romance. First of all, for Valentine's Day, any recommendations, not specific brands, but wines that you think uh, epitomize Valentine's Day besides the obvious champagne? Right. One of the ones that I think is fantastic is Brachetto. Brachetto is a sparkling rosé, a sweet sparkling rosé from Italy, the legend habit that Cleopatra seduced Julius Caesar and Mark Antony with Brachetto at this particular grape. And that's what she used to seduce both of these men. And so, and it goes beautiful with whether you have like strawberry shortcake tarts or any, any kind of strawberries to chocolate. So this is a wide range of after dinner dessert type of activities. So um, I recommend Brachetto. What about some of the late harvest wines, ice wine, things like like that. Those are not necessarily on anybody's radar, but those are very sexy wines. Oh, they're delicious. And one of my favorites is Hungarian Tokai. Yes. Tokai, yes. I went to Hungary um, wow, that was probably like 10 years ago now, and I came home with a few cases of Hungarian Tokai. My husband had never heard of it before, and I said, okay, if you can just imagine dried apricots drizzled with honey, that's exactly what this tastes like. And I went off on the trip, came back a week later, and there was only one bottle left. And I was like, honey, I was, I was supposed to be aging this. He goes, God, this stuff was so good. So now we have a sticker system in the cellar. Bottles he can touch and bottles he cannot touch. But that's another one that sometimes people just can't get their hands off of. It's well, just delicious. If you need me to come uh, out there to do an intervention with your husband, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and as far as foods that you enjoy pairing wine with romantic undertones, where do we go? Um, where do we go? Let's see. I mean, I've always been told, oh, you know what's really kind of cool? If you get a half bottle of Sauterne or an ice wine or something like that, and you pair it with something hot, like takeout, so like a very hot Thai or Indian curry or something along those lines, then this, the sweetness offsets the spiciness. And so you're not spending a whole lot of money on the food, but you're spending money on the wine. But you, it's the combination of the two. You got the sweet with the spicy and the, it raises a lot of heat. And, and I think that could be a great pairing. All right. So can I get a hallelujah for that one? <laughs> 
I have been saying this from day one. We've been on the air eight years now. Do not be afraid to pair fast food or takeout food with a really nice bottle of wine. And and even if the wine's a $100 bottle of wine, it still is going to taste delicious with that $5 burger or the takeout. I think yeah. pe- people have this kind of idea that if they're going to have something expensive to drink, then they should also eat something expensive. That's sort of silly. No. One of the classic pairings is like white burgundy with lobster. And lobster is always a big expensive thing. But I found, I did this book with a certified master chef and it's called Pairing with the Masters. And we found that, that our favorite wine with lobster was this $8 Pinot Murillo. We, we tried it okay. three or four times just to make sure. All right. <laughs> so, like, oh my God. so what was the Pinot Grigio brand? Oh, I can't even remember. I'll have to look at it from but, the book. But, su- but, but suffice to say it was Pinot Grigio, which is always an inexpensive wine. Yes. In general, yeah. I mean, you'll it's under twenty dollars. I mean, you can get them at ten dollars. Yeah. So, and it's always floral and medium bodied. I mean, Italian Pinot Grigio. The reason why it's one of the most popular wines in the world is medium everything: medium acid, medium body, medium alcohol, medium intensity of aromas. I mean, it's unobtrusive to just about anybody. We have just one minute left. You know, for me, Valentine's Day should be a day of uh, being adventurous and uh, trying something new. There are a lot of varietals that are not necessarily new varietals. They've been out there, but that are really, really starting to share the stage with the more traditional top nine wines that we all know and love. What are some of the varietals that you think are poised to make a very big showing in the coming years that may not be on everybody's radar? And it doesn't have to be super obscure, but, you know, things that are really starting to gain momentum or should. Some of the varieties that are real beach bunnies, they love the sun, they love, they soak it all up, and particularly red grape varieties such as Morvedra, such as um, Petite Syrah, such as Malbec, I think we're going to see a lot more of those. You know what, you just named three of the four that I have been talking about, uh, Mouvedra also, just a, a great wine. Another one that would be on my list, because I don't think that many people really drink it, is Cab Franc. I, I, just, yeah. I just think that is yeah. one of the most delicious delicious Bordeaux out there and one that is going to see a lot of momentum in the coming years. But I agree. Mavedra, there's not a lot of it out there just yet, but I guess it is starting to show up more and more. Is that your thought? That is my thought, whether it's South Africa or New Zealand or uh, in South America. Yeah, you are seeing more Cab Franc. Well, I am afraid, Jennifer Simonetti, Brian, that's going to do it. Uh, that's all the time that we have. But uh, I do want to say that you mentioned a wine that I think is a hot contender tender for Valentine's Day and also should be a wine that should be a point of pride at the White House. And that's Viognier. Yeah, yeah, Viognier, they grow that in a lot of different states. So beautiful, full-bodied, floral. It's kind of like Marilyn Monroe with Chanel number 5 on. All right, and there's the White House tie again. Oh, dear. So if anybody wants to know more about what you're doing and get in touch with your world, where should I send them? Oh, you can send them to winering, W-I-N-E-R-I-N-G.com, or you can send them to, they can find me on LinkedIn, they can find me at, on Twitter at Jedi Wine Master. Awesome. And, yeah, no, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so, so, (laughs) (laughs) Wine Jedi, I figured it was appropriate. Uh, Okay. Well, Jennifer, a real privilege to have you on. I really appreciate you sharing your firsthand experiences at the White House Wine Cellar, and we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime real soon. Oh, thank you so much. All right. We're going to be back with uh, more Grape Encounters right
right after this. Coming up next, it is the world's leading authority on the aphrodisiac qualities found in both wine and food. Amy Riley up next on Grape Encounters Radio. We like to talk about wine. Want to know David's very favorite products for wine lovers? You can see them at GrapeEncounters.com. GrapeEncounters.com is where you'll find a hand-picked selection of products and accessories for wine enthusiasts that you aren't likely to find most other places. The selection of must-have wine-related products is awesome. So are the low prices. We have the all-new Corbin plus accessories, gifts, wine games, collectibles, and so much more at GrapeEncounters.com. You'll love the unique wine products waiting for you at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com. If you work in the wine industry or are a wine lover that spends more than $25 a bottle, you should not be without the all-new Coravin Model 2 Wine Access System. The Coravin is a game changer, allowing you to extract as little or as much wine from the bottle without removing the foil or the cork. As wine is poured from the bottle, inert argon replaces it, keeping the remaining wine inside absolutely pristine. That means you can drink the remaining wine in a week, month, or a year from now without any chance of oxidation or spoilage. The Coravin is the brainchild of a medical devices inventor who was tired of seeing delicious wine go bad because it wasn't consumed in one sitting. Today, it's the most important tool any wine enthusiast can own. The new Coravin Model 2 is available online at GrapeEncounters.com. Or if you're on California's Central Coast, you can see a demonstration or pick yours up at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. Learn more about the Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson. happy camper because I have a guest on the line. She's always been one of my favorite guests. It's Amy Riley, the author of several cookbooks that pertain to our romantic or at least the romantic attributes that food and wine have. And you are the undisputed world expert on the aphrodisiac properties that can be found in both wines and food. Amy, welcome to the show. You get pounded with phone calls at this time, right? So true. But I made time for you. Well, of course, because (laughs) I've got something on you. So Valentine's Day being certainly the most romantic holiday of the year. First thing I want to do is I want to go back and revisit the survey that I put out there. And I just asked a handful of questions and I'm going to see how well you know the American people. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. The first question that I asked our listeners and online friends is, if you plan on drinking bubbly on Valentine's Day, what will it most likely be? They had four choices. True champagne, a California Mm -hmm. sparkling wine, Prosecco or Cava grouped together or other. What do you think they chose? Champagne. Well, it was a close second. Oh. 
it was Wait, second. I know you're a Prosecco pusher. I, Your people <laughs> chose Prosecco. Oh my gosh, you make me sound like I'm standing out on the corner in front of the local high school. <laughs> hey kid, you, you want some Prosecco? <laughs> no, it wasn't Prosecco. I, frankly, very shocking. Which really leaves us to just one thing: California sparkling wine. Forty percent of the respondents from oh. all, all over the country. So that's the big reveal. The mm-hmm. second question was: apart from bubbly, what do you consider to be the most romantic wine varietal? My personal choice would be Pinot Noir. You know what? Pinot Noir by far the preferred wine for a romantic interlude. Fabulous. Well, the- you know, I actually I have I think I've talked on your show about it. And I've written many times about there was some research done in Australia by the late Dr. Max Lake, and he found that the aromas of certain wines actually tended to replicate those of human pheromones. And a lot of those aromas you will find in Pinot Noir, that sort of truffly note, the violet, the earthiness, the forest lore, all of those things. Why are you Pinot lovers so afraid to mention the one characteristic that actually is responsible for this being so much like human pheromones? The ingredient is sweat. What do you do in your glass? I don't know. It smells like sweat. Oh, I often recommend people to choose Chardonnay that smell like sweat for the same reason. Delicious. All right, here's uh, the next one. We asked our listeners, will you be giving your significant other a bottle of wine or bubbly as a Valentine's Day gift? Yes or no? What do you think? I think they said yes. I would tell you they not only said no, they, they said no two to one. All right, the next question that we asked our listeners is this. Which statement best describes your past experience with wine or bubbly on Valentine's Day? And here were the potential answers. Okay, the first was, there's no such thing as too much wine. Uh The next one was, pace yourself for a happy ending. And the final answer was, exercising restraint for myself, but not encouraging my Valentine to do the same. Okay, (laughs) that's the one you answered. No, uh, you know what? Nobody likes intoxicated romantic partner. That's my opinion. I think they were all trying to sound a little respectable and they chose the middle one. Pace yourself for a happy ending? Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, almost 58% of respondents Mm -hmm. chose that that one. Lies. Uh, all lies. No. The, the, the second most popular was there's no such thing as too much wine, which too is wine. basically That's just really. restating the truth. And then finally, yeah. uh, exercising restraint for myself, but not encouraging my Valentine to do the same, uh, just uh, under 8% at this point. And, and then the last question was, how many glasses each of wine do you and your partner enjoy before the sparks begin to fly? Ooh. And it's just a number Ooh. answer. Just a number? Yes. Two point five. Wow. Two point five. No, two I think two point five when we average it all out is going to be right. But it's interesting that very few people answered three and Mm. only a couple of people answered one. The majority, Mm -hmm. and it was pretty much split 50-50, was between either two glasses or four glasses. Four. Four glasses. That's almost a whole bottle of wine. If you can drink if David's pouring, that's a bottle of wine. Yeah, you know what? Pouring it it there's five. Well, I know. Well, I'd like to be generous, especially to my my significant other, uh, who's going to be getting all the wine she wants on Valentine's Day because oh, she and I own a wine bar. <laughs> okay. all right. Yes. All right. Uh, Amy, one, of the, one of the perks. Amy Riley, our longtime guest and the world's leading expert on the subject of the aphrodisiac properties found in wine and food. Amy, uh, one last suggestion for listeners uh, pertaining to wine. Ooh. Choose 
the wine your lover likes, wow. not the one. If you if you have to choose between two, choose the one that they like over the one that, that would be your first choice. Okay, but you know what? I said I was only going to ask one question, but hmm. I do want to ask the wines most likely to elicit a romantic response to put your significant other in the mood are what? For men and well, women. Well, bubbly, 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 especially um, Blanc Blanc. It's uh, not only quite indulgent and a little more rare, but it also has those, those pheromone characteristics. Yep. Um, Riesling, Riesling, a dry Riesling, of course. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say, of course. A, a, I dry, like a, dry, too, mu- a dry, musty Riesling. Is the Riesling effective for the same reason that Pinots are effective? There's that mustiness yep, in it? earthy, man-woman kind of, yes. So I would and say... A lot of Chardonnays have that, too. So I would say, on, um, on the Riesling, though, uh, wouldn't you direct people more to the German style of Rieslings versus California style, or even Finger Lake style? Because in, in California, the Rieslings, and even in, in Washington and Oregon, too, they tend to be a little... Well, I was going to say, but very sanitized, not in a bad way, but just mm-hmm. they're so fresh. You don't get that mustiness that comes from making wine in a 500-year-old winery. You find it more easily in an old world Riesling, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and the thing that I would stay away from is think about, and most people don't, think about the alcohol level in your wine. I would choose a wine that's lower in alcohol. That way you can enjoy more over the course of the evening and still be able to have a command performance in the bedroom later. Okay. And for men, the hot ticket on wine? Oh, anything the lady likes, assuming you are right, you, a, you know what? Um, You're starting to sound like Donald Trump now because a few years ago, your answer would have been a, a big red light Cabernet Sauvignon for the men. No, um, I'm going to play back. A wine that has those great earthy notes, and you might find them in a lot of Bordeaux. They're a little more rare in California, Cabernet, to be honest. Um, okay. I just found that in a Chianti the other day. It was a really lovely, manly wine. But yes, look for those kind of characters. All right. Amy Riley, I really appreciate you being on. I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. If they want to know more about wine and romance food, then you need to go to eatsomethingsexy.com, right? Absolutely. What we're going to do on Grape Encounters for the time being is say goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. Have a very romantic Valentine's Day. Extend it into the entire year because this world could use a little bit more love. And if we don't do it, who will? You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.